Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we have a special message from Graham Daniels in 1 Kings 19. Good morning. If you were here last week, you'll know we started looking at 1 Kings chapter 19 and the story of the prophet Elijah when he was having a really tough time. Uh, If you weren't here for that, of course, you can go back and look at that. But don't worry if you didn't. I'm going to spend a couple of moments at the beginning. Uh, It's not for your sake if you're here and you weren't here last week. It's for the sake of those who forgot what we talked about last week. (laughs) So I'll give you a recap because it's all in the same chapter. So let me just give you a, a little bird's eye view. I called it Elijah's spiritual depression because this was a guy who lived about 900 years before Jesus and the king and the queen of the country were really not doing it God's way. And he was a very brave man. Uh, He was a man of real conviction. And he felt he had to go to the king and queen and take them on. He didn't think anyone else was willing to. He went to take them on. And in the process of challenging them about their corruption of the Christian faith, sorry, as we'd call it, their corruption of their relationship with the God of Israel, what happens is that he goes into a bit of a battle, really. 850 leaders of the king and queen's religion against him, and the challenge was to get their God to send fire from heaven to burn a sacrifice. They fail hopelessly. He wins. The fire comes from heaven, and when the fire comes, the whole nation, who are present at least, say, we must go back to our God We must turn back to our God. We've been going the wrong way. And Elijah runs 17 miles to the palace, to the royal palace where the queen is. And he gets to the queen. And then we're about to enter where we are today because he gets to the queen. Now, you've got to imagine how pumped the guy is now. He's absolutely stoked. He is winning hands down on his own. And he must think he is God's greatest gift to anybody at this point. And he gets to the queen and he says, I need to see the queen. And she won't even see him. She sends a messenger to say, I'm going to kill you. Don't think that messing with 850 guys makes you strong against me. I'm the queen and you're a dead man. And they would have expected fireworks at this point because he's just taken on a whole nation. And we read these words, verse 3 of chapter 19, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Whoa. Great conviction. He fell apart. And last week, and as we go into the second half of 19 this week, it's the realization, whoever one is this morning, if you're thinking about following Christ, or you've been following Christ for many, many years, when we meet together as a church on this Sunday morning, we're meeting together to encourage each other to go out of here this week and live for Christ. And so the theme in this passage this morning is what happens when you hit the wall. When you are a woman of conviction, you want to do it right, but it goes wrong. So for Elijah, it seems to go so wrong. He runs away. He runs 100 miles away. And then he goes further into the desert and he says these tragic words which may resonate with you or the equivalent of them. I'll put it in modern English. 
or American. Uh, I wish I was dead. He says, take my life, Lord. I'm no better than my ancestors. 19 verse 4. You know what? I'm better off dead here because I've really screwed it up. I'm no better than anyone else. Now, of course, there's a hint there that he thought he was, right? I'm like everybody else. I've really failed and I ran away. If you've ever felt that something you've done has failed God and you couldn't bear to go to him because you thought he was angry with you and you must go away and you go away from God and you go away from people and you withdraw and you say, you know what? I should give up on even thinking God's interested in me because of this screw up. And actually, I should never talk to anybody else because why should I go to any other people who love God because I'm such a failure? Now, on the outside, we can look okay. But you know inside, you just think I'm a wreck. Well, if it can happen to this giant, the point is it can happen to anybody. It can happen to me, that's for certain. And where we got to in the story, or where the story goes, is that he is so exhausted when he runs away that he can do nothing but go to sleep. He just has to sleep. But when he sleeps, God comes and gives him some food through an angel. And then he sleeps and then gives him more food and then he sleeps again. So you know that thing when you're so fed up, when you feel such a mess that you wear yourself down to such a point of exhaustion that you could sleep for 15 hours because you haven't slept for five nights, that kind of thing. You just crash. And you're actually not eating properly. It's really basic, you know. And God feeds him properly. He sleeps and somehow, you know the feeling, he gets a bit of equilibrium back. He says, okay, it is a mess. It is a car crash. I've lost my nerve. I turned my back on God. I let him down. I ran away. I feel a bit better. I've, I've rested. What'll I do now? And in verse 8, it says, Strengthened by the food, he went to Horeb, the mountain of God. And we closed last week's session by saying, Horeb is the same place as Mount Sinai in the Old Testament. Mount Sinai is where God gave the law to Moses in Exodus. So Horeb and Sinai is the place at this point in history where God has met his people in most power by giving them the law with wind and earthquake and fire at Sinai. So he has enough in him to say, I've got to go back to God. Stop running away. Don't be a fool. God will take me back. And I think what I was trying to say with you last week was the heart of the Christian message, and I think it's worth focusing on this for a moment or two now, the very heart of the Christian message is that because God loved you when you were his enemy, and he sent his son who was perfect to die for us, and because he died for us when we were bound for hell as his enemies, <clears throat> if he was prepared to do that for you, how foolish are you to think that God could be against you because you make a mistake? Do you see the logic? <coughs> Intellectually, the logic's easy. Well, I really screwed it up. I don't have any rights before God now. I better earn the right to get back to him. In fact, I'm going to go away from him. And I'm not going to tell any other Christians that I've struggled with this because I don't deserve it. That is the opposite of the good news. Because the ridiculous scandal of the gospel to the outside of the good news is that you don't deserve anything. Face it. Of course you don't. You deserve nothing. You only deserve punishment. 
But the one who died for you and beat death for you and opened up eternity for you, um, in these couple of lines is the gospel. Whether you're in brilliant form today or terrible form, he thinks the same about you. You are the apple of his eye. But of course we can't believe that because all of hell says, no, you're not. Earn your way back. Well, if you were logical, you'd say, I can't earn my way back. I'm a ruin. I'm a ruin when I'm good, let alone when I'm bad. That's why I needed a savior, right? So the logic of the gospel is this, but of course we know the human heart. So we come to church to line up our head. The one who deserves nothing is the apple of God's eye forever because of Christ, and he will never disappear, and he'll never turn his back on you, so don't run away. We've got to line up our heads with our hearts. And the battle of life is to get the teaching clear in your head so that your heart gets it and you go, oh, what am I doing running away? Come back. My saviour's got open arms. I can come back anytime. So when the head lines up with the heart, you get hands that know how to do life. Now, in this guy's story, he goes to that mountain. In New Testament eyes, as we look back at the stories, it points to Christ, we go to Calvary. This Sunday morning, however much of a mess you've made of anything this week, acknowledge this, you are a sinner. You are a failure. That's why you needed a savior. But the savior who died for you, loved you, and looks on you, this is the most important thing, looked on you at your worst moment last week, or your best moment, exactly the same. My child. And when you get it wrong, he is for you. He wants to help you become the woman he made you to be, not beat you with a stick. Now, Elijah just gets there in time. He goes to Sinai, Horeb. And as we come to the three headings I've placed for you for this morning, this is what happens at Mount Horeb. Firstly, verses 9 to 14, Elijah goes back to God and he gets a chance to talk and listen. Now read it with me. At Horeb he went into a cave and spent the night and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here Elijah? After running a hundred miles and going and being on his own and feeling a wreck and deserving nothing he claws his way back to where he might meet God and God says hi how are you? You'd think he would now say It's been tough. I felt guilty for being a coward. I ran away. I felt I'd let you down. But when I'd eaten and slept, thanks for the food. (laughs) When I'd eaten and slept, he should have worked out that God loves him because he sent him food. Uh, This is what happened, Lord. I came to my senses a bit and I realized you are for me. You're just for me. And I'm just relieved, Lord, and I'm ready to go back and carry on with it and make a difference in my city. (laughs) No chance. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, verse 10, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. You know what he's doing. He's mad, right? You know the feeling? Yeah, go to church. You know, go back to God. Go meet with his people. Stop running away. Get there on Sunday, whatever you feel like. Go, 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 go. And you come. And and you might think, right, she'll be great today now. She's come back to the right place. And inside you're going, I have been so zealous for the Lord God Almighty. I've done my best. The Israelites rejected your covenant. 
tore down your altars, everybody else, you see. They put your prophets to death with a sword. They, 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 they've all screwed up. I'm trying my best. And now you're going to kill me. Ever felt like that? Listen, I've done my best. What about her? And what about him? And them? I'm doing my best. And you're screwing me over. God, he's mad. And the reason I can do it in a, in a loud voice is that when you read the Bible, you can't read the tone of voice. But what you can read is the author's intent as he writes the passage. And if the author repeats something in a passage, you've got to believe that if that author is inspired by the Holy Spirit when he sits at his Mac or with his little pen or something, when he sits there, we know the Bible is inspired by God through human authorship. So the human author who sat there and wrote this thought hard and long and actually wrote a repeat of what he just did so that you and I get how fed up he is. Watch it closely. Verse 9, what are you doing here, Elijah? I've been very zealous and so on. And then in 11, this happens. The Lord says to him, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord because I'm going to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And then a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Good. You've got your brain in gear. You've got your head clear. Come back to me. Let's line your heart up with your head. Okay. How are you feeling? Angry. Okay. Stand by the cave. Power. Wind. Boom. Earthquake. Boom. Fire. And Elijah's going, yes. That's the way God's used me in the past. He's giving it back to me. When I took those people on, it was power. The power of God. Fire from heaven, you see. Fire from heaven. That's who I am. That is me, he's thinking, God's going to let me do that again. You know how your identity is wrapped up with how people see you? What kind of mom is she? What kind of worker is she? What kind of car does he drive? What's her reputation in the community? What's she well known for? What's she good at? We find our security. We can't help it. Perhaps you can, I can't. I feel fantastic today. Do you know why? My soccer team won yesterday. <laughs> I know. To you, that's ridiculous, right? But I'm telling you now, last Saturday, my soccer team lost. And it's worse because it's over. It starts at 7 a.m. your time, 3 p.m. my time, if you like. And so I've got all day to brood when we lose. So I had a brilliant day yesterday because I'd like much longer than I should have to rejoice. But you see, in my world, you don't live in my world. Sadly, my identity very quickly becomes, how is the soccer team doing? Because I'm involved in the soccer team, you see? And people will read the media about the soccer team, and that's who I am. And if it's not good, then I'm a failure, right? And if it's good, I'm a success. I had nothing to do with the results. Think now of how people see you when you feel strong. Is it looks? Is it intellect? Is it reputation? Is it character? Is it charisma? Is it gentle and kind and quiet? It could be a hundred things. You know how you like to feel strong. 
And our greatest gift from God is our greatest weakness. He gave you all those personality traits. But we start to depend on them, that's sin. We start to find our strength in them. And we start to find our reputation in them. And God isn't against us when he challenges them. He actually wants to take those gifts and make you better at them, but without worshipping them. So that you can become more and more the woman he made you to be with those strengths. So watch Elijah. Boom, boom, boom. And he's going, yes, I'm going back into the fight as the main man in this country. And then the Lord isn't in any of them. And the Lord says to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? I'm not going to give you any more. I was going to say, I'm not going to give you any more wind, but that wouldn't sound right. I'm, I'm not going to give you any more wind or fire or earthquake. I've got a new plan. Elijah, what will Elijah say to this? So what are you doing here, Elijah? Second time, perhaps Elijah says, okay, Lord, whatever gifts you give me, I'll use them. Whatever talent I have, I'll use it. Now that I know you love me so much and I've got my head straight and my heart straight, give me the hands to go back to my country and use me, Lord, because my best place in life is putting you first and any gifts you give me, I'll give them away. I feel terrible now, Lord, but with your strength, I can go and learn from what I've learned here and go back in. He does not. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14. Ah, I have been very zealous for the Lord. He's raging angry. God can't even talk to him. The Israelites rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. They're going to kill me too. He just can't get out of the anger. God says, show me your feelings. He says, I'll show you my feelings. That's what he does. Is there any plainer way to say this? If God knows everything about you, if he made a hundred million galaxies, if he made you in your mother's womb, if he knows all your failures and all the things that not even another human being knows about you, if he knows everything you've ever done and he still dies on your behalf and he smashes death in your place and he beats death and he sends his spirit to live in you, do you not think that it's okay to tell God what you think and feel and not push it in? Psalms 42 and 43, note them. They are brilliant examples of people pouring out to God despair. We're human beings. And when God himself became a man in the image of human beings, when Jesus Christ was in Gethsemane, he said, Lord, please, no. He cried it out. Do not feel wretched about talking to your lover the God Almighty who loves you more than anybody about the pain of your house or your kids or your work or your neighborhood or your finances or your health or your parental health. He knows, my friend, the world is broken. There isn't a human being who's immune from a fractured creation. We're not immune from it. And we can't bear it when our hearts break and weep so I'm not, I don't want to be flippant this morning. There's many people in here whose hearts are weeping right now for things that they're facing. What do we do with this? Well, first, 
Stop saying God must be against me because of something I've done to cause this to happen in my life. Stop it. You have done things to cause it because you're an idiot. <laughs> no, it's the truth. Of course you cause a mess. Isn't that obvious? What vanity to say. Well, of course. What vanity. But you see, repent and believe is a big New Testament pairing. Repent means turn around. Well, you can't keep walking through life saying, of course, not my fault. And then when something goes wrong, you say, oh, it must be God's against me because I screwed it up. No, you screw it up all the time. That's why there's a cross. Turn around. You are loved regardless of the screw up because he paid the price who didn't screw up. So turn to him now. Look at him. Go to him and say, Lord, this hurts like hell. What can I do? Help me. But Elijah wants to say, give me back my strength in community. Let people look at me and see the big man and the big leader. I need to solve this the way that I know best. And now comes the brilliance of how God helps him. Point number two, look up Elijah. God is in control. Look up, Elijah. This is where God Almighty is so kind to us. And if you've got a few years, you know, under the belt, you'll have gone through this a couple of times, I'm sure. All the things we've described about Elijah happened to us. We react in these ways. And the Lord lets us work out our frustration, pain, anger. Some of us push it in. Some of us shout it out. We can't sleep. We can't eat. We... We're sad, we avoid people. We find somehow that we can't go on without him. We cling back to him, we flee to him. And then he says, all right, all right, you're better off crying with me than somewhere else. Cry with me. You can shout at me. I love you. And he will let us cry and shout. But in the end, this is why God is God. He will offer you and me a solution but it won't be the solution that we want so often because we are so flawed and yet he will offer a solution that does two things uses your talent that he gave you for the sake of others uses your talent given what he wired you up to be loud, quiet, introvert, extrovert he will take you and use the pain to make you better at loving other people. It's mad. If you listen to him, it doesn't mean you feel happy as a, as a bird, but it stops you being miserable. It doesn't mean it'll make you feel great, but he definitely gives you more peace than you could possibly imagine. Watch how he does it. The Lord said to him, verse 15, go back, go into the office, go into the home, Go into the neighborhood. Go to your sports club. Go to your friend or enemy. Go back. And you say, no, I don't want to go back. He say, come on, trust me. Go back. Okay, I'll go back. Look at the page, the passage 15. When you get there, anoint a guy called Hazael, king of Aram. I've got a guy lined up to sort the country out from another country. He's a class act. Go and find him. 
Then, 16, there's a guy called Jehu. Uh, go and get him. He's going to be the next king of Israel. I've sorted it. I've got it. I know the world's broken, Elijah, but you are my lovely child, and I am for you. And I asked you to do this, and you feel you screwed up? My friend, I don't care if you screwed up or not. You are a man of conviction, and you tried, and you gave me a best shot. Stop feeling a failure. I've got it. I know everything. I know every galaxy. I know every king. I know every brokenness. I know every pain. I know every answer. Trust me. I'm the creator of the universe. Now, Elijah, this is what we're doing. Go back. There's a king there. There's a king there. They're going to beat the current king. And then finally, Elijah, verse 17, uh, sorry, verse 16, anoint Elisha to succeed you as prophet. Oh, thanks. He's fired. <laughs> I've got a guy who's next in line for your role. Go and find him. Now, hey, you know, Elijah's a bloke. He's a guy, right? He's a guy. He'll be hurting at this. But God will gently say, do you trust me with the answer? Do you trust me with my answer, not yours? I'm not sending you back. Bang, 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 bang. I'm not sending you back like that, but I am sending you back as the leader I made you, as the prophet I made you. And this is what's going to happen. You're going to prepare for the future, my future, but I'm just going to humble you a little bit now and I'm going to coach you because I love you. And I want to make you a better human being. I'm not going to strip your skills away. I'm going to take you as you are. The Lord takes you as you are. It's no mistake that you're you. We're all different. And the great thing is the creator who made you gave you all those gifts that make you a human being who is worth knowing. But what he wants to do is when we step out of the way we should do it because we get a little bit too full of ourselves, he says, all right, when adversity comes, just come back to me and I will just tweak and then I'll make you even more the woman I want you to be. Because adversity is inevitable in a fractured world. And so what he does here, he says, hand it over to the next guy, go back in there. And by the way, verse 18, I have reserved 7,000 people in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. My friend Elijah, in your slight vanity, you got carried away and isolated that you were on your own. Listen, my dear friend, I have made sure that in this country, partly because of your guts, there are 7,000 others who honor me. Elijah, I will win in the end. And you, my friend, even as you break your heart at what's happened here, got to get this clear. I have never been against you, even when you ran away. I'm with you. I'm always with you. I feed you. I care for you. I made sure you got food and slept. You got your way back to me. Now, let's go all the way. Let's go all the way back to your neighborhood. And I'm going to use you, you, not somebody else, in a whole new way but yet consistent with who you are. Let's go back. And he goes back. When he gets back, in chapter 21, two chapters later, Ahab and Jezebel, the king and queen, are still there. What they actually do is they murder a guy to buy his vineyard. His name's Naboth. And Elijah has to step up to the plate and say, you have murdered a guy to get his vineyard. They're still king and queen. It's not over. And he still has to speak to them. 
by this time he's met Elisha and Elisha says to him, I need to spend a lot of time with you. I need to get to know you. Will you help me to understand what a prophet does? Pretty humbling for the big man and yet he's still being asked to take on the king whilst training his successor. And Elisha says to him in 2 Kings chapter 2, which is not on your screen, in 2 Kings chapter 2, Elisha says, I know that one day God is going to take you to heaven when you're alive. You shan't die. You're going to go to heaven. And, and what happens in 2 Kings chapter 2 is that they're walking together at the Jordan River sometime after the wilderness experience and a chariot of, do you know what it's made of, the chariot? Fire. A chariot of fire sweeps him up and takes him to heaven. He went out the way he loved to live. Fire. He left this world a better man than when he first met God because in a terribly broken world, it's not your sin that's being punished, it's the brokenness of the world that's been handed over to humanity to look after and is fractured. None of us are immune. So when you come to know God through Jesus Christ, each one of us will face adversity. A big percentage of people today will feel adversity. It's inevitable in a crowd of this number. It's just proportionate. And if it's not this week, it's another week, right? God is for you. Calvary proves it. He is not blaming you. Do not run away from him. He was for you while you were his enemy. He's for you while he's died for you. He is there for you. Come to him. Flee to him today. Stop running away from him. And when you come to him, tell him today what you think. Tell him the truth because he knows already. And then he'll say to you when he's ready, you'll know it. Go back now and talk to that woman who you've had a huge row with. Go back into that class at college and front up your mistake and say you're sorry. Don't run anymore. What can man do to you? I'm for you. And what happens when we do that is that like Elijah, we turn into somebody slightly more beautiful by the kind coaching of God than we were before. When we can say, my heart is breaking over my mum's health. It's breaking. I cry every day about it. But you know what? I want to help. If you're in that position with your mum or your dad, let me help with you because I know what the tears are like. Yeah, my marriage has struggled and it's hard at the moment and I need to tell the truth about it, but I don't need to blame and I need to say, God, help us to be honest about our own vulnerabilities and help us to serve each other in a supernatural way that I couldn't a month ago until I realized that I've got to break this particular cycle on this occasion. There could be multiple examples, isn't it? You'll have your own. The key principles are go back in to where you came from and ask the Lord to take you as you are and to give you the strength to invest in others. When the Apostle Paul describes the Christian life in a nutshell in Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, he says this, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by your own works, 
For this is a gift from God, given for you to do the good works he prepared in advance for you. You are saved freely by the death and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf because God loves you and he has never left you since. But his plan for you is that he might make you the person to work out the good works he prepared in advance for you. Now, that's a life worth living. I'm accepted. I'm loved. He is for me. I screw it up. He never goes away. I flee to him. He listens to me and he says, okay, what's the plan? How can you do good in the place where you feel the biggest failure? Oh my word, how radical a lifestyle is this now. No wonder people look at people of Christ and say, how did she do that? How could she apologize? Or how could she tell me the truth about the pain she's facing at the moment that's made her like that? How could she love on me when I've hated her and she knows it? And of course, that is supernatural. And you'll say, I can't do it. You can't do it, you fool. That's the whole point. You can't do it. But I know someone who can. The fruit of the Spirit, says Paul in Ephesians 5. I'd love to be a super Christian. What's a super Christian? Paul tells us. You want to be filled with the Spirit. How do you get filled with the Spirit? What does it look like? Whoa, what's it like? Uh, love, joy, peace, patience. Patience, can you hear me? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, and self-control. What spectacular qualities to him. The more we go through the cycles of pain, the more useful we are to people coming behind us, going through them. And the joy of life is to embrace Christ in it and to ask for his help. Oh, one more thing. My alarm's going. One more thing. I've got to tell you it before we go. If you think Elijah finished well when the chariot takes him to heaven and he gives back into the world where he fell such a flaw and God says, I was with you all the time. Get back in there. Wear a crown of thorns, not a crown of petals, said Martin Luther. Carry the cross of Christ and serve in his power, says Luke in chapter 9. So, if we do that, if we ask for the power to do that this week, think now of the place where you cry to God in agony and say to him, give me the peace and the power to go back in. And to be a humble, grateful, thankful woman that you are with me and you never desert me when I fail. Will that be a good result? Or you'll feel better than you do if you don't do it. Don't keep running. Don't keep running. It's so miserable to run. It's so lonely. It's so lonely. Go back. But if you think that's okay, watch this. After six days, Mark chapter 9, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. Jesus was transfigured before them. The great king, the great priest, the great prophet shows his three inner circle who are going to write the New Testament 
who he is. And he's transfigured and his clothing is whiter than white could ever be. He's shining. They've only seen a bloke, a guy so far, a kind of guy from Galilee who hangs out and does incredible things. And then they go, whoa, who is this? And then they go, whoa, who's that? And guess who they see? Next verse. Yay. <laughs> Who's there? It's only Elijah. It's only a thousand years later. He's only alive. He's only Christ's wingman. Oh, my word. Here's our greatest flaw of all as we look at this story through New Testament perspective. That's 2,000 years ago. Elijah lives. Ladies and gentlemen, this life is nasty, brutish, and short. Thomas Hobbes, English philosopher, 17th century. And yet in there, there is a beauty called Christ the Savior. God the Father and the Holy Spirit. This is who you are if you're in Christ church. And the best is yet to come. Yes, it is, isn't it? Come on, Chang, we should sing together. The best is yet to come. Thank you, Richard. The reason as, as the musicians come to help us incorporate worship and song, this is the deal, isn't it? Come to church here. Recalibrate life. Get your head and your heart to line up. And then you've got hands that can make a difference because we're a church without walls. Isn't it? We come here to train so we can go out and our head and our heart can move to our hands. Wherever you're going to go this week, wherever it's been tough, wherever you feel you failed, be clear about this. He is for you. He knows what's happening. He knows your personality. He knows your strengths and your weaknesses. He is for you. Ask for his strength to go back and be a woman who no one has ever seen the like of who can say, I'm sorry, or how are you? Or let me weep with you. You're the guy who says, come on, man, let's go for a coffee. Let's get something sorted here. Whatever it is for you, you'll know. This is gospel living. This gives us another week unless he comes first for the privilege of living a life worth living that'll make us the person who lives forever getting ready for when the best is yet to come let's stand and sing these beautiful words together to rejoice in these truths thanks for listening this week if you're looking for ways to serve give or get connected please visit our website northcoastcalvary.org